Suicide bombers are easy to spot. They give out all kinds of telltale signs, mostly because they're nervous. By definition, they're all first-timers. Israeli counterintelligence wrote the defensive playbook. They told us what to look for. They used pragmatic observation and psychological insight and came up with a list of behavioral indicators. I learned the list from an Israeli army captain 20 years ago. He swore by it. Therefore, I swore by it, too, because at the time I was on three weeks' detached duty, mostly about a yard from his shoulder. In Israel itself, in Jerusalem, on the West Bank, in Lebanon, sometimes in Syria, sometimes in Jordan, on buses, in stores, on crowded sidewalks. I kept my eyes moving and my mind running free down the bullet points. Twenty years later I still know the list, and my eyes still move. Pure habit. From another bunch of guys I learned another mantra. Look, don't see. Listen, don't hear. The more you engage, the longer you survive. The list is twelve points long if you're looking at a male suspect, eleven if you're looking at a woman. The difference is a fresh shave. Male bombers take off their beards. It helps them blend in, makes them less suspicious. The result is paler skin on the lower half of the face. No recent exposure to the sun. But I wasn't interested in shaves. I was working on the eleven-point list. I was looking at a woman. I was riding the subway in New York City, the sixth train, the Lexington Avenue local, heading uptown two o'clock in the morning. I had gotten on at Bleecker Street from the south end of the platform into a car that was empty, except for five people. I was sprawled on a two-person bench north of the end doors on the track side of the car. The other five passengers were all south of me on the long bench seats, in profile, side-on, far from each other, staring blankly across the width of the car, three on the left and two on the right. The nearest passenger to me was a middle-aged Hispanic woman. She was across the car from me, on my left, forward of the first set of doors, all alone on a bench built for eight, well off-center. Next up was a man, on the other side, maybe four feet farther down the car. He was all alone on his own eight-person bench. He could have been from the Balkans, or the Black Sea. He was about fifty, dressed in clothes far too young for him, baggy jeans that reached only his calves, and an oversized NBA shirt with a player's name on it that I didn't recognize. Third up was a woman who might have been West African. She was on the left, south of the center doors. Her eyes were closed. I know New York reasonably well. I'm familiar but not intimate with its habits. But it was an easy guess that any three people like these, already seated on a late-night northbound six train south of Bleecker, were office cleaners heading home from evening shifts around City Hall, or restaurant service workers from Chinatown, or Little Italy. They were probably set for Hunts Point in the Bronx, or maybe all the way up to Pelham Bay, ready for short, fitful sleeps before more long days. The fourth and the fifth passengers were different. The fifth was a man, he was maybe my age, wedged at forty-five degrees on the two-person bench diagonally opposite me, all the way across and down the length of the car. He was dressed casually, but not cheaply, chinos and a golf shirt. 
He was awake. His eyes were fixed somewhere in front of him. Their focus changed and narrowed constantly like he was alert and speculating. They reminded me of a bowl player's eyes. They had a certain canny, calculating shrewdness in them. But it was passenger number four that I was looking at. As the police notice advised me from a wall panel, if you see something, say something. She was seated on the right side of the car, all alone on the farther eight-person bench, across from and about halfway between the tired West African woman and the guy with the ball player's eyes. She was white and probably in her forties. She was plain. She had black hair, neatly but unstylishly cut, and too uniformly dark to be natural. She was dressed all in black. I could see her fairly well, well enough to ring every bell on the eleven-point list. The bullet headings lit up like cherries on a Vegas machine. According to Israeli counterintelligence, I was looking at a suicide bomber. But the timing was wrong. The New York subway would make a fine target for a suicide bombing. The sixth train, stopping at Grand Central Terminal, would be as good as any other, and better than most. But not at two o'clock in the morning. We stopped at Astor Place. The doors hissed open. No one got on, no one got off. The doors thumped shut again, and the motors whined, and the train moved on. The bullet points stayed lit up. The first was the obvious no-brainer, inappropriate clothing. This was September, and it was as hot as summer and ten degrees hotter underground. I was wearing a T-shirt. Passenger number four was wearing a North Face down jacket, black, puffy, shiny, a little too large, and zipped to her chin. What was she concealing? I took a pass on the second of the eleven points, not immediately applicable. The second point is a robotic walk. The train stopped at Union Square. No one got on, no one got off. Then the doors closed again, and the train moved on. 